Hello friends, welcome back to Actually Adultish. My name is Christina Rice and I'm your host. I am a holistic health coach. I am the creator of the blog addictedtolovely.com and I am the co-host of another podcast called Straight Up Paleo. Thanks for joining in again today. I have a really awesome guest. But first, I just want to remind you that if you're not already in the Facebook group, Actually Adultish Podcast Nation, I would love to have you in there. So just search Actually Adultish Podcast Nation. I will accept you if you ask to join and then you can be part of the cool crew. It'll be lots of fun. And if you haven't already left a rating and a review on iTunes, I would really, really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me. So go ahead and do that. It'll only take you a minute and make sure you're subscribed. It's free to subscribe. I could really use your help in getting the word out about the podcast. And if you like it, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your Uber driver, let people know about it so they can join in and we can just keep growing the fam because we are fam. I love you guys. Also, the hundredth episode is coming up. And I'm working on a really badass giveaway because I want to do something really fun for the 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. I can't believe I'm already almost 100 episodes in. Wow, that is crazy. Come a long way. (sighs) Blessed. Anyways, I want to remind you that if you're listening to this the day it actually gets released. The signups for my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program are still open for a few more days. And I would love to have you in the program if you're interested in it. So this is a five-week program that I will help pace you along. And it's starting at on January 29th. But you also can absolutely do this at your own pace. Once you enroll, you have access to the materials to look at and use whenever you want so there isn't actually time pressure but for people who you know want to go along with a group want to be paced through it then I set out this five-week timeline and you will get video lectures and audio lectures from me you will get weekly pdfs and you will get access to the private Facebook group, which is amazing. You'll be in there with me and with the other women who are in the program and who have been in the program. So you can ask anything you want at any time. And everybody in there is really supportive. You know, we can share recipes, we can share health information, articles that we see. I share things that I'm into. We're like a little family and you will make lifelong friends. I promise. It's amazing. So This program is really for anybody who's looking to optimize their health. So whether you are already eating a whole foods diet, maybe even doing a paleo diet for a long time, this program will still be great for you. If you don't eat a whole foods diet at all, maybe, you know, you're just looking to get healthier. This will also be an amazing resource for you. So it really is for any woman and I'm targeting this towards women because most people don't understand that most of the health information put out there is targeted more towards men because most studies are done on men, unfortunately. It's very biased in that direction. And a lot of the health mistakes women make come from a place of them trying to, you know, feel better, do things to feel better. They follow advice that's 
that works better for men and then they run themselves into hormonal issues or other issues. So this will help you balance out your hormones, optimize your gut health, reduce inflammation. We're going to talk about everything you need to know about nutrition and exercise and health mistakes people make and cooking and grocery shopping, really actionable items. And you are going to learn a lot. And it's just a really awesome community. And I would love to have you in there. So if you're curious, if you want more information, if you want to enroll, you can go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle. Or you can head to my blog addicted to lovely.com and click on programs tab. It's right in there. So I would love to have you in. I'm only taking a small group so that I can make sure that I can focus on everybody in there and give everybody the attention they deserve. I think this is also a really amazing resource for you if you feel like you might need some health coaching, but you can't afford one-on-one coaching right now. This is a really awesome alternative because you have access to me in the Facebook group. You have access to me on live calls that I'll do live group coaching video calls every two weeks and you'll always have access to all this material so once you're in the program you're always part of the program and you always have that available to you you can also get the vip package which gives you access to me via email for any personal questions for that whole five weeks so if you want more individualized support you also will be able to do that so that's another option so would love to have you in there i'm so excited to start this up again nothing makes me happier than this program. I love the women in it. They know. So you can head to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle and check it out there. And the link will be in the show notes as well. So that's sort of my main update that's going on right now in my life. There's lots of other things going on in my life, but that's the main thing you care about. And now I just want to talk about my guest because I'm really excited. This week, I have Dana Montsies on the podcast. She blogs at realfoodwithdana.com. She also recently started her own podcast, Real Talk with Dana, and it's great. She is so down-to-earth, genuine. Just if you want real talk, this is the thing. If you like me, you're probably listening to this podcast because you get entertainment and enjoyment out of me. You will love Dana as well because she has my kind of attitude. That's why I love her not biased. Anyways, so Dana is a nutritionist. She has her master's in clinical nutrition. She's a Whole30 certified coach. She's a swim coach. She knows a lot when it comes to health and nutrition. She makes incredibly delicious recipes. If you guys saw that salmon frittata I made, that smoked salmon frittata I made for Christmas, if you follow me on social media, I got it from her blog. Her meal, her recipes are insane and beautiful. And I just love everything she puts out there. And she has some great blog posts. I just, I really respect her because she is no BS and she knows what she's talking about. And she has a really incredible health story as well. And I really wanted to get to chat with her more about that and dive more into that because I mean, I know in this conversation, she shares a lot of things that she's never really gone into detail about before. And so I'm really appreciative that she opened up and talked about it with me. You know, that's what I love. I love to get in there and talk about real shit. And she also is 
really real. So huge thank you to her for sharing her story. She's super genuine and amazing. And I think you guys will love her and definitely check out her stuff too. But you will enjoy this, I know. And I'll just hop right into the interview. Hello, Dana. Hey. How's it going? I'm great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. Of course. I'm so excited. We're finally doing this. I've been talking to you about this for a while. And of course, it's hard to always coordinate. But I have so many things to talk to you about. It's amazing. I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Yeah. Well, okay. For maybe people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you give a brief introduction? Sure. Okay. So my name's Dana and I blog over at Real Food with Dana. I'm also a nutritionist and a swim coach. Um, So that's kind of the really short version of who I am. Yeah. And you just finished school. Yeah. This this next round of school. So tell us about that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. third round of school. So, um, my undergrad is from Middlebury college and I did a double major in politics and French. So I actually worked. Yeah. (laughs) I actually lived in France first semester in college and I went to the political science school in Bordeaux and I worked in politics for two or three years after I graduated college. And then I realized that it was sucking my soul and I hated it. Um, and around that time I was starting to get really sick too, and no doctors could kind of figure out what was going on. So I decided to go back to school for health coaching at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And then after that, I was like, this isn't enough. Like I want to be more educated about like the science side of nutrition and actually become a nutritionist because in Maryland, you can't just have a health coaching degree and actually practice nutrition. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get my master's in nutrition. So I finished my master's this summer. I passed my board exam. So now as soon as I'm done with all my clinical hours, which should be in like a month, then I'll be officially a board certified nutritionist. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. So pumped. (laughs) I am so excited for you. I know how hard you've been working. It's crazy. And it kind of sucks that you have to do so much more work than people in other states to talk about nutrition. Yeah. So there's a site called, I think it's nutritionadvocacy.org. And I always tell this to people who want to get like an online degree, whether you're like an NTP or you want to go for your RD or a nutritionist, like you always need to check the laws of your state. Cause I know California is like a green state is what they call it. So like, even if you're just a health coach or like NTP or whatever, you can practice nutrition and it's totally fine. But for a lot of states, especially like in the middle of the country, and then even some on the East coast, unless you're a registered dietitian or you're a registered nutritionist, like you're not allowed to practice nutrition. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a lot of people do get sued over that because so many people are doing it anyways. But I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row, especially because my parents are both lawyers and they were like, you can't do this. And I was (laughs) like, okay, like just want to cover my butt legally. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Well, while you bring that up, I think it's really interesting to talk about the use of the term nutritionist because, okay, I'll talk about it in the context of my own life. Technically, I could run around and call myself a nutritionist and, but I don't use that term. It's, I wouldn't put it on my Instagram bio because I don't, I'm not a nutritionist yet, you know, but I technically could because in California I can call myself that, but then I feel like if I call myself that, that 
doesn't give enough value to the people who have done more schooling than me. But I do use that term if I'm talking to somebody who just knows nothing about anything, you know, just to make Mm -hmm. it easier. For example, people from back home in the Bay Area who don't know anything about health or wellness or I'll just say, oh, I'm a nutritionist to make things faster so they get the point. But I wouldn't put that, for example, on my website, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of people who are just health coaches do put that up. How do you feel as somebody who is I mean, how do you feel about the use of that term? Um, I mean, I could go off on this because like Please do, please do. I'm, it, I want to know. Well, it's honestly really aggravating because yeah. like I totally get if you're just in a conversation with someone and they don't know a lot about nutrition and they don't know what like an NTP is or what the heck a health coach is or any of this, like it's so much easier to just be like, oh, I'm a nutritionist. And then they'd be like, oh, so you teach people how to eat healthy and that kind of stuff. Totally makes sense. But when people are using nutritionists to market themselves and they don't have a background as a nutritionist because there's so many different online programs now that can teach you a little bit about nutrition, right? But I feel like unless you're doing a program like a master's program, or if you're doing the NTP program, which is like super comprehensive, then you're not actually learning enough to deal with people that have multiple different health conditions to like interpret their lab work, to do supplements, to do all these different kinds of specialist diets, you know? So it's like, you and I've ranted about this on Instagram before, but like people really need to be careful about where they're getting their health information and who they're trusting. Because I mean, I'm not saying that you have to have credentials in order to give good advice, Mm -hmm. right? Like there are plenty of people and like myself included before I had any degrees, like I definitely knew more about nutrition than most people did, but that doesn't mean that I'm qualified to work with people on a one-on-one basis or give like blanket recommendations for a lot of people just because something's worked for me. Right. So I think it's helpful to keep that in mind that, you know, just because you know a lot about nutrition, you might've gotten some kind of online degree, like not to take anything away from that, but you do have to be careful of how you market yourself. But at the same time, like if you go to the other side of the coin, there are plenty of people that are nutritionists and RDs who like have no idea what they're talking about. Right. So like You could be somebody without a degree and not necessarily know more, but know more ways to apply the knowledge that you have to people with your specific health condition or something than an RD or a nutritionist who's never worked with anyone like that, right? So you just kind of balance it out there. I I totally agree 100%. Thank you for saying all that. I I think that there should be more regulation around who can officially put on a website or market themselves as a nutritionist because it bothers me that I could run around and say I'm a nutritionist but Sally Sue who's in a different state couldn't and we have the same amount of schooling you know or also it's for people who are doing more schooling and putting in more work there needs to be something that makes it more obvious to people who who has had more schooling, but then it comes, it turns into an issue of what type of information they're being taught, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, how do you figure out who's a bullshitter on the internet and who actually knows their stuff? Like how we just talked about, there are so many, you know, that you'll find a million RDs that know their stuff, and then you'll find a million who also don't. And that's right. scary. So, how do you figure out? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I do is, 
I always watch out for people who are very dogmatic about a certain thing. Like if someone's telling you that you can only ever be paleo or you can only ever be vegan and like that's the only way to be healthy, like run the other way, (laughs) right? Because, right, I mean, what you learn in school and what you learn, you know, pretty much anywhere is like, the reason that there are a million different diets and exercise and everything is because something different works for everyone, right? Like what works for me might not necessarily work for you and the same for the next person. So like, say I feel really good eating paleo, but like the person next to me feels really good eating vegan. I'm not going to tell them that that's wrong because that feels good for them. So if someone's super dogmatic about you know, a certain diet and they're telling you like nothing else will ever work, like run the other way. Another thing you can do is if people are pushing a certain diet or supplement because they're being paid by that, like also run the other way because you can't tell. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like you can't tell if they actually use the product and it's worked really well for them or they're just talking about it because they're getting paid. And this is like celebrity endorsements for like waist trainers and like, you know, all these stupid like detox teas and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it drives me nuts. Um, but yeah. the people that I do trust and like I follow a lot of people from a bunch of different communities like Paleo, Vegan, Whole30, like Raw I follow NTPs, dietitians, like health coaches, people that don't have any credentials but know a lot about health and nutrition. Like you just kind of have to do your own research and find what vibes well with you. Like if someone is telling you, you know, real food works best, but you have to figure out what works well for you personally, like this works well for me and you might want to try that, but I'm not telling you that this is the way to go because you need to figure it out, right? This is maybe my personal experience and this is the clinical experience that I have from working with clients. Like no matter what that person is saying, I will listen to what they have to say because they're not biased when they're talking to you and they're not trying to push something on you, right? And it's always good to have multiple perspectives and multiple points of you so you never get too dogmatic in what you're talking about yeah no I love that you said that I was actually just talking on the phone with my friend this morning about how we feel as though a lot of nutritionists now have really pigeonholed themselves into one way of eating one diet and getting very specific and I think a lot of times they do that for marketing purposes because it's easier to market yourself as I'm the keto queen. I'm the raw vegan girl. I'm it's easy to but that and it gets people's attention, right? But that's not realistic. You know, if I put every single person that comes to me on the same exact diet that I eat, no I would see no success. Right, know? exactly. And people aren't don't realize that. But it's also this really sexy idea that you can see somebody on Instagram that you admire and you think oh I'll just eat exactly like them and then my problems will be solved you know people don't (laughs) it's unfortunate I think also something that I look for is some type of personal experience with struggling with their health and with overcoming it and with doing research and trying different things and figure out what works for me and I know you have a great well great maybe bad choice of where you have a an inspirational story in terms of that. So I would love to talk a little bit more about your own personal health journey because I'm sure that is, you know, that's what kind of brought you into this whole space. So can you kind of go back to the beginning and tell me a little bit about when you started seeing health issues? Yeah. So 
if you want to go way back. So when I was a kid, um, I want to say about like eight to like 10 or 11, I was, I mean, I wasn't like a super overweight kid, but I was definitely chubby. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's definitely when my issues with food started. And it definitely didn't help that I've always lived in a house where my mom was like super conscious of her weight and was like always on a diet. So that's all I ever heard, right? Like my dad never talked about it, but my mom would just be like, oh, you know, I'm doing this diet now or like this diet now or like, oh, I feel so fat in these pants or whatever. So that's what I grew up hearing all the time. Mm -hmm. So then luckily, like I mean, I knew that I wasn't like as thin as the other kids, but like when you're a kid, you don't really care that much. Right. So then in middle school, I started swimming more competitively. So I just kind of naturally leaned out. But then in high school, I remember during my, I think it was my sophomore or my junior year, I actually went to a nutritionist because I thought that I was eating, you know, enough to be a competitive swimmer. And like I was, I mean, I don't think I thought I was eating the right things because I was eating junk food. Like it was so gross. I can't even. (laughs) Weren't we all? Weren't we all? (laughs) Right. Exactly. But like I didn't know how to cook or anything. So it was like we had like mac and cheese Mondays at my house. And then like my mom and my dad worked a lot. So we would have like microwave ham and potatoes with applesauce one night. It was just, it was so disgusting, but whatever. So we went to the nutritionist. And she was like, oh, like you're actually not eating enough. So I actually started eating more and I started losing weight, which was odd. But then I distinctly remember one summer, um, I think I went back to that nutritionist and whatever, I got on the scale and my mom was like, whoa, you weigh that much? And I was just like, holy what? Like, I couldn't believe that she said that. And also I was like, oh my God, I actually do weigh that much. Like, that's crazy. And my mom said like she had weighed less than me or something at some point. Also like disclaimer for anybody who doesn't know, like I'm like five, three and my mom's like five Oh, right. So we're both like very small people. Mm -hmm. So if you do gain like five, 10 pounds, like it's, it's easy to see it, but like I hadn't really noticed it. Right. I was just like enjoying myself as a teenager, like swimming all the time. And then like not caring about what I ate. So that's when I kind of started, I guess, dieting. And then in college, it turned really south. So my freshman year, I probably gained like a little bit of weight, um, like everybody does, right? Um, I went to school at Middlebury and they had great food, like seasonal, local food, all this stuff. And I was finally like teaching myself to eat vegetables and stuff for the first time. Um, But I was also working out more than I ever had in my life um, being on the swim team, we like had two a days and then we would be lifting weights and all this stuff. So I started eating more and then I lost my like freshman, whatever, five ten during the first swim season over the winter. And from that point on, I was like terrified, like terrified of gaining that weight back. And it's not like I wasn't overweight or anything. Right. But so then the spring of my freshman year, I started really restricting my food and I would just like skip meals. And I like distinctly remember like only allowing myself to like push food around on the plate and like not eat at all. And then going back to my dorm room and just like starving and like not allowing myself to eat. And it was really horrible. The next year I started noticing a lot of health problems. Like I was really nauseous all the time and I had headaches all the time and was just having these like stabbing gut pains and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I started going to a bunch of different doctors and they did 
an endoscopy and they gave me like proton pump inhibitors, which lower your stomach acid and all this stuff. Years later, I found out, okay, I actually do have celiac, even though they told me I didn't at the time, which was, you know, obviously a wrong diagnosis. Um, and that I actually had really low stomach acid at the time and they had further lowered it when they gave me those drugs. Um, so they basically made everything worse. Um, but besides that, when I cut out gluten and dairy, I started feeling a lot better. So then my junior and senior year, I basically had like a full blown eating disorder. I was bulimic. I would restrict my food and I would totally overexercise it off. Like binge eating wasn't actually coined as an one of the eating disorders at that point, but like I definitely had it. Mm -hmm. But the thing was like so many people in college have them, especially like when you're on the swim team or if you're on the track team, like you're so hyper aware of your body because you're basically half naked all the time. Right. And so like I'll look back on pictures of myself then I'm like, Oh my God, I look so frail and like so weak and so sick because also when all of this was happening, like I was in the middle of getting a celiac diagnosis and I could barely eat anything because I just felt so sick all the time. But even then I was like, Oh, I want to lose more weight. I want to lose more weight. And it was super unhealthy. Um, so that kind of continued after college and then I got sicker and sicker. Like I learned I had a parasite, I had thyroid problems. I down the line gave myself adrenal fatigue and like all of these other things. So I'd basically been through the ringer of like everything. And then I, in 2013, found the whole 30 when I was working in politics and I was like, what is this thing? Like I'll do this with the new CrossFit gym that I had joined. And so one of the things of the whole 30 is you're allowed to like do measurements and weigh yourself at the beginning. And then for 30 days, you're not supposed to. And then you do it at the end. And I was like, sweet, this is my next like weight loss diet thing. Right. So <laughs> I did that and I actually like gained half a pound or something. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, what the heck? Like I like ate clean for 30 days. Like I hadn't binged or anything. I hadn't purged. Like I felt so good. And then I was like, wait a minute. I'm doing all these things right and like I feel really good in every other aspect of my life and yet I gained a little bit of weight like maybe I'm doing something wrong here right so that was kind of the turning point where I was like okay maybe I need to re-examine my relationship with food re-examine my relationship with the scale all of these things but the problem was like all of the damage that I had done for you know the past whatever eight years or five years whatever it was before that hadn't caught up to me yet. So starting then, um, I actually proceeded to, I think I gained like 20 or 25 pounds and it like, it needed to happen because I had lost my cycle. I had like no hormones left. My thyroid levels had bottomed out. I was in like stage four adrenal fatigue, like had to stop working out completely, had to quit my job and move back in with my parents because I was just so sick and it was just horrible. So basically I hit rock bottom and then I started my blog <laughs> like a month later because I was like, I'm home with my parents. Like I don't have a job at this time. I had actually started going back to school at IIN for health coaching, but I was like, this is great. But like, I feel like I'm not doing anything and I couldn't work out, which I loved to do. So I was like, okay, I need to like put my energy into something positive because people had noticed that I had started to eat a lot of nourishing foods, a lot of nutrient-dense foods, 
And I had basically gotten over the eating disorder myself at this point, like I never went to a facility or anything, but I also had never talked about it with anyone. So I'm not even sure if my parents knew about it. Um, and I haven't really outright talked about it with them because I think they would just be super uncomfortable. And at this point it's kind of in the past. Um, but I've had multiple talks with my mom just about like the way that she talks to herself. So that's been helpful. But since I started the blog, it's been such a journey of like being in school and then balancing a full-time job while being in school and then quitting that job and then going back to school full-time, working in clinical nutrition, like starting to work with brands, being an entrepreneur, and then meeting a bunch of freaking awesome people <laughs> along the way. And then like like you said, being able to teach others because I have such like a messed up background, yeah. right? That like I don't want anyone to experience like what I went through again. So that was kind of like my founding thing. Like when I started the blog, it was like, I'm just going to teach people how to make recipes and stuff. But then after I was like, no, like I can do so much more good with this, especially because like as college athletes, no one teaches you how to eat. Right. And we had, I forget what the program was called, but it was basically like, let's make sure that none of the girls are like too skinny that they don't have eating disorders, right? But it was never like, like I was never the like too skinny girl or whatever, but I had an eating disorder, right? And like they never came up to me and no one talked to us about that. No one taught us how to eat to like properly fuel for being an athlete. And then after you're done, like no one teaches you how to eat in the real world, yeah, right? To like feel best with your body, like for whatever goals you have to like fuel your performance in just like life, right? So- It's just like, there's a void here and I want to fill it. And I want to make sure that like no one goes through that same horrible journey that I did too. Oh my gosh, my heart. I'm like going to cry. And I mean, that's exactly how I feel too. It's like when we have these experiences ourselves, we just, and you suffer so much. You just think if I can do anything to save one person from doing this, like you shouldn't, you know, you don't want somebody else to suffer too. But okay. There are so many things in that, that I want to get into. Let's. I don't even know where to start. Let's start with sort of the time period when you were in college. Did you realize what was going on was disordered at the time? Uh, Yeah, I knew it was messed up. Um, I knew like I was skipping meals on purpose. I didn't know at first. I was like, oh, I'm just not going to eat a lot. And then I was like, because I know if you eat less, that'll make you lose weight and exercise more, right? But of course, we all know now, like, that messes up your hormones, and that's why I lost my cycle for, like, years. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, I don't have a period. This is great. Like, I don't have to buy tampons, you know? Like, yeah. it was really, really superficial. Um, and I didn't really realize that it was something – a little bit out of the ordinary, I guess, to the extent that I was doing it until my, and this is going to sound really horrible. So, uh, my senior year, one of my friends, um, was bulimic and like, we all started to notice it. Um, and all my friends were like, Oh, like we should probably talk to her and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then in the back of my head, I was like, I bet if she can do it, like I can do that too. You know, like it was Mm -hmm. so messed up and horrible. So that's when I knew what I was doing was really messed up. And then when also another one of my friends, my junior year was like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to skip meals to lose weight. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like what? No, you know? So, I mean, looking hindsight is 2020, right? So looking back on it, 
I definitely know from the beginning that it was disordered, but in the moment I didn't really realize until I observed other people doing it and was like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think I felt that too. Even when I knew things were disordered, I didn't feel an urgency about it, I guess. And also, so I want to ask you, did you feel like all the other girls around you were also disordered as well? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I definitely did. And that's the thing, right? It just seems like normal when you're in college. Like that's what everybody does. And then the other part of that is like in college and then even the first few years after college, like a lot of people have a disordered relationship with alcohol, right? Like people, no matter what night of the week it is, like people will just like go out and binge drink and then like make themselves throw up so they don't feel bad in the morning. But like, that's not disordered eating, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what you want to call that, but it's definitely not normal and it's not healthy either. Cause I knew plenty of people that would just like go out and binge drink. And then when they come home, they're like, Oh, I'm going to feel horrible. So I'm just going to like, you know, make myself throw up and then feel better a little bit. Yeah. Which is so messed up. But even after you finish college, like the first couple of years, depending on who you're hanging out with, and it's not like I was hanging out with bad people, but you know, we would go out and then you would drink a lot because you can. It's like your first couple years out of college living in a city and it's really fun. And then you drink so much to the point where you get sick and then you like eat all these crappy foods and then you feel duly crappy the next day. And there's nothing good about that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like I notice it more and more now. I feel like all of my close friends now are all people who have also had eating eating disorders and have talked about it. And I, you know, I'm kind of in this space and we talk and I see what they're like. But then I go into the, quote, outside world, outside bubble. I go back home where I think about my friends in college before I got into health and wellness or meet other people. And I feel confused because I feel like all of those people who are supposed to be the quote normal ones all have really disordered relationships with food and all of us who are sitting here saying I had an eating disorder I went through this don't have disordered habits anymore but I go Mm -hmm. out to the quote real world and everybody's skipping this meal so that they can eat more that meal or everybody's like not eating this and then they're binging at night so and then they're working out for three hours in the morning and that's just normal or I even see it on tv on reality tv what people think are just normal behaviors or I'm out with friends and they go oh I don't want I don't want dinner I just don't feel like it and I'm just thinking hmm you, you know what I mean it's really it's weird it's really messed up and then you can also see it Um, in the way that people talk to themselves, Mm -hmm. like no one would ever say, you would never say to a friend like, oh, you look fat today. Or like, you know, those jeans make your butt look big or whatever. Okay. Maybe you would say that because people accept that more as a compliment now, but, um, like, but the way that people talk to themselves, they're like, oh, I'm having a fat day or like, oh, like I don't, I feel fluffy today. Or like, you know, there's so much cellulite on my butt today or like, oh my God, I can't believe like at my CrossFit gym, like our gym posted that picture of me. Like it looks so horrible. I look so fat. I have like double chins and it's like, back up a second. First of all, no, you don't. Second of all, the more you talk to yourself like that, the more you're going to believe what you're saying to yourself, you know? Absolutely. And that's just become the norm. It's so sad. And that ties into the, the body dysmorphia that's gone on because these images we see in the media are all of women who are extremely unhealthy 
And so then people are striving for this, quote, perfect weight that's actually the weight of what should be good for an eight-year-old, right? So that ties into it. And I kind of want to get more into that later. But I want to talk about how you mentioned that a lot of the damage that you did didn't show up until years later. So how much... Can can you give me like sort of a time frame of when you felt like the damage really showed up as opposed to when when you were doing it? Yeah. So let's say I started doing damage in the first year of college, mm-hmm. right? I So I graduated college in 2012. I definitely still had some eating disorder stuff going on until let's say the end of 2013. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't So the damage had started to show up at the beginning of 2013. I went to a naturopath for the first time and that's when I could already tell that my adrenal, like my adrenal levels were low, but it wasn't like that bad yet. I was still able to work out and stuff, but my thyroid levels were like way low. I had already lost my period, which had never been normal, but part of that was definitely because I was an athlete. Um, But so say it started in 2008 And then starting in 2013, it started to get bad. And I think the worst part of it didn't happen until basically the whole year of 2014 was like a cluster F for me. It was so horrible. Like everything that could have gone wrong basically did with my health um, to the point where like that I had been living downtown DC with a roommate and then that summer – out of the blue, I got some kind of bug. And for three weeks, I was on the couch, couldn't eat barely anything, like didn't have any energy. And I had no idea what it was from. Like I hadn't eaten at any restaurants, like nothing. And so after three weeks of that, I had to call in and quit my job. I had to call my parents and be like, I need you to move me out of my apartment. I need to come home. Like I can't do this anymore. Right. So after that, it was a process of healing that took me at least two years. Um, and it's just like, and these things, yeah, these things didn't show up. So what, that's like at this point, five or six years later. Yeah. Right. So it took me at least, I mean, I would say till the end of 2015, like maybe even halfway through 2016 where I could finally like, I mean, I had to completely stop exercising. Like I had to learn how to be intuitive with my eating. I had to learn how to love my body. I had to like research my way out of all of these health conditions, like obviously with the health of a, the help of a naturopath and like going back to school and all this stuff. And it was just such a long and tenuous process. And like, if you had told me back then, like before all of this was happening, like when I was in the worst of my disordered eating, that I would have to like gain all of this weight and like do all this work to fix myself and everything like hell no, I would have like, I would have stopped. I mean, I say that now, right. I know it's always hard in the moment, but like, holy crap. But then at the same time, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because if I hadn't gone through all of that and I hadn't gotten sick, like I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. I probably would have been in law school or a lawyer at this point for, to be honest. And I probably would have hated my life. So yeah. At least we can come out on the other side of it and actually help people from what we've learned. I think it's absolutely a blessing in disguise. I don't think you would have the 
the drive behind what you do if you hadn't had that personal experience. But I mean, the reason I want to highlight that is because I talk to so many young women now who, like I mentioned before, don't sense the urgency. They're not, they don't really care that they don't have their periods and they're overtraining, under eating. They, and they, what they do is they compare themselves to so-and-so. They go, well, she does this much and she eats this much and she looks fine. She doesn't feel bad. And I go, you don't First know that. All, you don't know that. Second of all, maybe she thinks she does right now, but do you know what she's going to look and feel like in three, four years? Is it worth it? You know? So I just, I think it helps people to hear, like from you, you you dealt with it so many years later, you know? Do you also, I'm curious, do you think it was worse as an athlete? Um, the eating disorder? Yeah. Like, do you yeah. think that played into the athletics? I mean, I was oh a college. God, I was yeah. a college athlete, but I can only imagine how that would play into things even more so. Oh yeah, so I could tell. And with with something like swimming or track that's measurable in terms of like times or you know something like that, I can I can tell you when the worst of it was because so normally what happens in college athletics is like you start off as a freshman and like you might be pretty good and then you know, you get better and better generally, at least until your junior year. Some people, their senior year isn't the best, but so my best times and my best training came from my sophomore year, which you can tell, which was weird because when I was a sophomore, I was really sick and like, I couldn't eat a lot of food and all this stuff. But then it was odd because I still went, I trained really hard and I went all my best times. Then as the years went on my eating disorder got worse my times got worse because I just wasn't fueling myself enough. I didn't have enough food in me. I wasn't recovering as well, all this stuff. And my body was just like continually breaking down to the point where it was like, F you, we're not going to let you train as hard. We're not going to let you swim as fast. And it like, I can't even tell you how disappointing it is. Like when you're training, like your whole life aside from academics, right, is based on like your times in the pool, right? Like quantifying, like you can see any given day, like, oh, I went this fast. So you must have trained hard this week. Oh, next week you went slower. Like what happened? You know, and some of it is variable. Like if you're only, you know, a little bit off in this race and a little bit off in that race, like, you know, it's whatever. But say, so my events were distance freestyle. So 500, the thousand and the mile, the mile typically takes like 17, 18 minutes. So if you gain like a solid 30 seconds in an event, like there's something wrong. Right. And so it was so disheartening my senior year. And that's when I was like, Oh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. But then when we finished the season, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get fat. Cause I stopped training, you know? So it just got worse. Yeah. I can. And I feel like the pressure from those around you and then you see everybody else who's also engaging in disordered habits and it's in such close quarters and at this point it's not you know it's not just the way you look it's the performance and that mm-hmm. all ties in that's intense so I also let's talk about the adrenal fatigue and when you realized that this is what was happening and how do you recover from that yeah Um, sorry, my dog is just barking. Um, so one way that you can tell with adrenal fatigue is I started getting cortisol panels done with my naturopath and your cortisol is supposed to have a pretty steady rhythm throughout the day. So 
in the morning, it's going to rise so you can get up. It peaks around noon and then it starts going down throughout the day so you can go to sleep at night. So in the middle stages of adrenal fatigue, you'll get what's called tired and wired. So you can't get out of bed in the morning because your cortisol levels are really low. And then at night, they actually spike and then go back down so you can't fall asleep. So that's when you're in like the middle of the dysregulation. And then towards the end, everything is just bottomed out, right? Like if you've gotten to this stage where I was, like if you work out, like you are going to be so flattened for like four or five days. And I was basically bedridden. Like I was sleeping 12 hours a day, taking naps throughout the day. Like I didn't know what to do. So luckily I was working with a doctor who knew what she was doing. And then I was also in school at the time. So I was researching all of this stuff. But basically, I was over-exercising and under-recovering, and every single aspect of my life was just way too stressful for my body to handle. So it was over a threshold, and my body was just like, nope, like, I'm done with all this, right? Like, I'm done with your super stressful job. I'm done with you drinking way too much caffeine. I'm done with you drinking too much. I'm done with you over-exercising. I'm done with you not eating enough. Like, all of those things, it was just like, we're done. So my body basically pooped out. And so I had to stop exercising completely. I had to quit my job. I had to move back in with my parents and I had to basically not overeat, but I had to learn how to eat stuff that really fueled my body, which was terrifying for me because like, I mean, as you probably know, when you have a messed up relationship with food, like certain macronutrients can be scary Right. So I already knew that I was celiac, so I couldn't eat any like gluten stuff. But then like eating carbohydrates in general was scary to me because I thought that they would make me fat. Mm. Right. And eating like even healthy fats, I was terrified of them. So I was eating like low fat everything. So what was I eating? Like green vegetables and like plain chicken breast basically. Right. So nothing (laughs) exactly. And when you don't eat carbohydrates, you don't have any energy. And when you don't eat healthy fats, your body doesn't have any hormones. Right. So, and you don't have the fat soluble vitamins either. So it was just basically like a shit storm (laughs) of horribleness (laughs) for my whole body. And so how I recovered was I did super gentle exercise. And by that, I mean like some restorative yoga, Mm -hmm. maybe like two times a week. And I actually got a dog. So I would start walking her sometimes, but even that would be too much. And then I would have to go home and take a nap. Um, and I started to figure out how to read intuitively. I started reading nutrition books obsessively, like how can I fix this? Um, and it wasn't until like six months later that I was finally able to start like going to yoga classes like two or three times a week. And then a month later I was like, okay, I can add one like mild CrossFit class or like one mild group X class. And then the next month it was like, okay, I can do maybe two CrossFit classes a week. Like it was such a slow process and I really had to learn how to listen to my body in terms of like what was too much and like what was fine, right? Because sometimes I would do a yoga session and then I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for the next three days. I'm like, okay, that was too much. And it was really hard for me to do that because I was such a type A personality, right? Like most people that have some disordered eating or that love CrossFit do. And I basically had to switch 
from being a mostly type A go, go, go perfectionist to having much more of like a laid back type B personality of like not letting little things stress me out of just being okay with where I am now of like accepting my body and like, you know, just by learning how to fuel it correctly and figure out what types of exercise worked best and all of these other things and being okay with the fact that like, no, I don't love the way that my body feels or looks right now, but I know that that's not how it's going to be forever. And eventually when I recover, like I'll be able to do the things that I love again, like CrossFit and, you know, lifting and yoga and walking and hiking and all of these things, but it's okay that I can't do them right now. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you're recovered now? Oh yeah, definitely. Which is like such a relief. Yeah. I've felt like for the past about a year, maybe a little bit more than a year, I've felt totally fine. And, but that being said, like there are definitely still days where I'm like, whoa, this is too much. Like this week, even I noticed that like yesterday I felt horrible. I was really sick. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do any work today. I'm just going to take the day off. And I do try and talk a lot about self-care, especially for entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. because when you're an entrepreneur, like you could work 24 seven and there would still be a ton of work that you want to get done. So it's hard to balance that because right now, so I'm an entrepreneur, I have my own business, right? I also, I'm doing an internship so that I can finish up my clinical hours, but that's not taking a lot of time. But in the fall, I was taking, I was studying for my board exam. This past spring, I was an entrepreneur, I was swim coaching, I was finishing up my master's degree, and I was working in a clinical nutrition clinic, right? Like it was a lot. So you have to figure out, like, I know that there's a breaking point where like, if I was doing all of those things 100% all the time, I would definitely give myself adrenal fatigue again, right? So you need to figure out like what is your threshold. If you're stressed out in your job and in your relationships and all these things, you can't go to the gym and do a super intense workout because you're already so stressed that that's just going to push you over the edge. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And something that's super common for people who might not know they have some adrenal issues going on yet is like, there's this thing called cortisol resistance, which I'm sure you know, cause you've talked to the guys from mind pump, but so basically like if people have chronically low cortisol levels or they've become resistant to cortisol because they have stressors all the time, then the only way that they can feel good is by either pumping their system with caffeine, which releases cortisol or by doing like a super intense workout because that also releases cortisol. It's like CrossFit or something. But then the problem is once they've done that, the their like base cortisol level goes even lower. Mm-hmm. So then the only way they can feel good is by continuing to do that. But then the only way to get out of that cycle is to stop doing it all like together and to figure out like, okay, how can I manage my stress? How can I not put my push myself over the edge here? But like you try going up to somebody that loves CrossFit and goes every single day and you're like, you should probably pull back because you might get something called adrenal fatigue. They're like, no, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, exactly. And I think that, I mean, it's the person who it's hardest for to turn that around the type A person who is struggling with it, you know, to begin with. So what, what have you found like a sweet spot with exercise or what's working for you now? Yeah. So now I figured out, I, I used to do CrossFit, I think five times a week and like, damn, 
Yeah, like three, three or four days in a row, and then I would take like one day off and then do another one. So now in the past, I guess it's been almost two years, I've gotten really into Olympic weightlifting, which sounds really intense, but actually it's like you do like one or two, maybe three reps of something, and then you like sit down and rest for a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed, and this is all at my same CrossFit gym, I'll do, normally I do like two, maybe three days a week of CrossFit, but then in between that, I'll do like just a lifting session or I'll do like just a day of yoga or I'll take a rest day. Like I can notice now if I do CrossFit even two or days in a row, like if I do three days in a row, it's like, okay, now I need to take like four days off like yeah. before Christmas break because I was going to be traveling and my coaching schedule, I couldn't make it to any of my lifting classes. So I did CrossFit three days in a row before we went to Chicago for Christmas. And like the, the fourth day when I woke up, I was like, oh my God, I'm flattened. Like this is why I don't do this anymore. Right. So I'm much more intuitive with how my body feels with certain types of exercise. And I know what that limit is. Like every other day, like taking a day off works really well for me. And honestly, I don't really foresee myself ever wanting to get back to the point of doing like CrossFit five days in a row because I mean it's really fun and I love the sport and it's really cool but like I love lifting now right and it's just it's so cool because it's so technical and it's also nice because it balances out the intensity of CrossFit because it's like okay I'm gonna like do a couple of reps even though they're really heavy and then like I'm gonna sit down talk to my friends for a couple minutes so it works really well for me awesome and what about your mindset around exercise? Have you noticed that your reasons for exercising have changed or things? I think that it's really interesting and good for people to learn about. You know, people don't understand that oftentimes when you overtrain, you can gain weight. <laughs> yes. And that also was happening to me too. Cause when you overtrain, you can actually create a lot of inflammation in your body. And that's why when a lot of people start doing more intense exercise, whether it's orange theory or it's like BBG workouts or it's CrossFit, like if you do that every day and you don't allow your body to recover. And I know Julie from paleo MG has talked about this a lot. Basically you can create like a swelling sensation in your muscles. And so you won't look as defined and you just are like inflamed until you start taking more rest days. But yeah, I mean, I used to work out aside from swimming cause I loved being on a team and everything. But when I was working out for myself, I was working out because I hated my body and I was trying to punish it into a certain size or a certain look, right? I was definitely, I was one of those cardio bunnies that would do like 45 minutes or an hour on like the Stairmaster or the elliptical or the treadmill and then do like 45 minutes of abs, right? And I hated every single second of it and it was just horrible. Whereas now like I work out because I love the feeling of lifting weights, of getting stronger, of like being able to change what my body is capable of, not because I'm like, oh my God, I need to work out so I can eat this chocolate later or something like that, you know? <laughs> no, I love that. And I think it's a really, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think everybody, not everybody, so many people are exercising just because they feel like they have to for an aesthetic look. And then when you realize, when you actually find a good reason to work out, like feeling powerful and strong and achieving a goal that doesn't have to do with the way you look, 
then things, I think, naturally kind of more so fall into place. Because you realize when you're overtraining, you can't even reach that goal. You can't lift heavier because you haven't had enough time to rest and build muscle, right? So, yeah, yeah I think that's true. I also, let's go back to the food for a second. So, maybe talking more about, I mean, I'm sure recovering from the adrenal fatigue. Actually, before we get into this, I want to just talk about the term adrenal fatigue for a second. Sorry, because I... I have to d- do a disclaimer on this every single time. A lot of people <laughs> argue argue with that the use of that term. I'm sure you're aware of that. What, oh, yeah. what are your feelings surrounding that? Yeah, so I'm actually planning to do either a post or a podcast on like is adrenal fatigue yeah. real? Because the thing is, unless you have Addison's disease or Cushing's disease, like your adrenal glands don't actually get tired. Yeah. Right? Like they don't stop producing cortisol. The thing is your body just becomes less sensitive to cortisol. So it's kind of like in diabetes, we have insulin resistance, right? So the more sugar you eat, the less your body responds to it. So in adrenal fatigue, or if you want to call it HPA axis dysregulation or cortisol resistance, your body basically is saying you have too many stressors right now. So I'm not going to continually produce more cortisol because you don't need it. It's already in your system. You're flooding it from your caffeine intake, from your workouts, from your stressful job. There's too much cortisol floating around. So I don't need to produce as much anymore. Or my body just is becoming resistant to those external stressors, right? So it's not necessarily that your adrenals are getting tired, right? Because that's like saying your liver is getting tired or, you know, something else like that. Like your body is still functioning, but it's just becoming less sensitive to the chronic stressors that you're piling on it every single day. Yeah, exactly. And I think I completely agree with people who give the explanation as to why it's not technically adrenal fatigue, but I just think it's a useful term to get people to understand that what what they're feeling is not good, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to call it adrenal fatigue because it's like a, it's a term for a whole bunch of symptoms, mm-hmm. which basically paramounts in like you feel fatigued all the time right so like it kind of makes sense because Mm -hmm. if you're like oh I have cortisol resistance people be like what is cortisol and like what does that mean or when I say like if you have HPA axis dysregulation people like whoa like you're getting sciencey on me here right (laughs) and then you also have like adrenal exhaustion right so there's that too like adrenal fatigue would be like the more mild version of adrenal exhaustion, which is what I had when you're in like stage four and you're like bedridden and all this kind of stuff. So they're basically just a bunch of like sciencey terms that, you know, I wish there was something better because adrenal fatigue kind of sounds like woo woo. And now when you say it, it's such a buzzword that people know what it is now, but then more people that are uh, like in the scientific literature or who have studied these kinds of things, they're like, well, that's kind of a dumb term. Well, yeah, it is, yeah. you know, but like it's, it just kind of works well yeah. as a catch-all. It's accessible to other people, which I think is more important. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. is why like for, I mean, people will say like leaky gut, which is really intestinal permeability. And then people yeah. are like, oh, what is that? You know, same kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. I just want to, I just always have to give a disclaimer because I know I'll get somebody commenting it's not a real thing and whatever you know okay but back to the food so let's talk about I imagine you had to eat a lot more just in general 
So mm-hmm. how did you go about that? What was like that like emotionally? What realizations did you come to during this process? Emotionally, it was really hard because one of the things that I work really hard on with clients, and it is so hard to do this, when you've done a lot of metabolic damage to yourself, whether it's from yo-yo dieting or it's from an eating disorder or something, like you kind of have to come to terms with the fact that your body is going to have to gain weight in order for you to heal, which is really hard to tell someone and to get them to realize when they have a history of disordered eating and body dysmorphia, right? Like that might be one of the hardest things in the entire world. And like, obviously like we're not talking about like childbirth or having cancer or anything, right? But like mentally it's so hard. So it was a day by day thing for me. You know, it would be like, I used to be terrified of even eating avocados. So like one day I would have like a slice of avocado or I would eat like whole eggs instead of egg whites, or I would have, you know, half a sweet potato with dinner, or I would have some rice or something like that. Like, obviously I can't ever eat anything that has gluten in it, but it's probably better for my health anyways. But it was a day by day thing. So I started cooking with more like, more quantities of cooking fats instead of just using like a cooking spray and using like the bare minimum. And I started following more, um, like paleo blogs because, and I found paleo because there were so many foods that I couldn't eat when I was sick because they would just make me feel horrible. And I was like, Whoa, paleo has all of the things that I can eat. Like, this is interesting. So I started searching for paleo and gluten-free recipes and just trying out a bunch of foods and like allowing myself to have those foods and not beating myself up for having those foods. And then sometimes on foods that I hadn't allowed myself to have for a really long time, I would binge on them. And then it was like, okay, I can't beat myself up for binging because, and like, I know I don't want to do that again because I feel horrible, but at the same time, it's all a learning process, right? Like it's not progress is never a linear thing, whether you're building a business or you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to, you know, whatever your goal is, it's never just going to go up and up and up or down and down and down, right? Like you're always going to have like a cardiograph going up and down all the time. So I definitely had some setbacks and it was really hard for me, but I basically just had to take it day by day and like eat more of the foods that I hadn't allowed myself to eat because now like I mean, I still have friends who are like, I can't have that in the house. Like I can't have chocolate. I can't have peanut butter cups. I can't have popcorn in the house because I'll eat the entire bag of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And now because I've allowed myself to have so many of these foods, like I can have that stuff around all the time. And it's like, I don't, I can come home really hungry. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't really feel like having chocolate right now. Like I'm just going to have, you know, whatever else, because I know like tomorrow, if I want chocolate, I can have it. And it's kind of giving yourself permission. That's the big key there. Yeah. So one thing that I think you're the perfect person to talk to about this is people make some arguments, basically saying that if you continue to be eating healthy, you still have an eating disorder. I'm sure you've heard this in the space. Like orthorexia? Yeah. Basically, or a lot of, I've heard a lot of people, I went on a rant about this on another podcast recently, but (laughs) there have been a few people running around saying if you eat paleo, that's restrictive eating and you have an eating disorder if you eat paleo. This grinds my gears. Do you have any thoughts surrounding this? (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, for all the listeners, I just did like the most aggressive eye roll of my life. <laughs> um, the thing is like, one thing that I've also learned in my journey is you should never judge anyone else for the way that you're eating. Mm-hmm. And I work on this with a lot of my clients. If they're trying to do, whether it's a whole 30 or they're just trying to eat healthier for the new year and they encounter other people, what I've learned is if other people are getting offended by the way you're eating, they're projecting their own insecurities on you. Right. So like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if I'm say, okay, I have to eat gluten-free all the time and everybody that knows me, they can't get like offended or ask me questions about this anymore. Cause I'm just like, I have celiac, I can't eat it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, so you'll actually get really sick if you eat that, you know? But if I go out and they're like, Oh, like, why don't you want the gluten-free dessert? Like everyone else is getting dessert, you know, immediately if I'm not ordering dessert, even if you're not doing this, the people that are think you're judging them because they're being less healthy than you. And the thing is like, I will never judge someone else for the way that they're eating. And this at the same time, like just because someone is eating a certain way, like if they're following a vegan diet or they're following a paleo diet or whole 30 or whatever, like that doesn't mean that they have a disordered eating thing. Like if it gets to the point where they're afraid to eat anything that's not paleo or they're like, oh my God, I'll never eat that because it's not paleo. Like that's when you're getting a little bit like, okay, that's not normal, you know. But if someone's eating paleo most of the time because they know that's what makes them feel good, then I'm not going to criticize them for that, right? Or if someone's eating vegan because it makes them feel really good, that's fine too. Like if they don't want to eat meat because it's an ethical thing, got like do your thing, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, as a nutritionist, I might recommend that you take some supplements because mm-hmm. you're probably deficient in some things in your diet. But I would never be like, you know, unless it's like the standard American diet and you're eating McDonald's every day, like, okay, I'm going to give you some advice on how to get healthier, right? Because <laughs> yeah. everybody knows that's not healthy. Um, but then at the same time, like, you could say, well, you must have, I mean, I would never say this to someone, but they must have some kind of disordered relationship with food or with their self-confidence or something that they're projecting their insecurities on you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I also have noticed this has been coming up a lot with the rise in the popularity of different sugar detoxes or whole 30. And it really, really upsets me because I think that a whole 30 can be really freeing and transformative for so many people and now people are twisting it and saying that it's this disordered thing or it's a weight loss diet and it's not and I've never done a whole 30 okay but I I I don't need to but I real a lot of people it helps them so much and I think it's a great tool and it really kills me to see people twisting people people's intentions are to feel healthier and to feel better about themselves and then people are twisting it and saying that it's something negative yeah and And I'm I'm sure you can because you do a lot of work with the whole 30 yeah um I so I'm one of the whole 30 certified coaches but like I don't need whole 30 all the time hell I'm not even doing one right now and it's like the biggest month to do whole 30, whatever, because like, as you said, all of these things, whether it's a sugar detox or it's a whole 30, they, or other kinds of diets too, they're all tools 
to help you figure out what's going to make you feel your best. Now, if you're starting to use those tools as a crash diet, that's when you're running into like disordered eating problems, whether you want to call it that or not, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're doing a whole 30 every other month because you're eating whole 30 for one month and then the next month you like fall totally off and you go right back to your old habits and you're like, oh, whatever, it's fine because I'm just going to do it again next month. Yeah, the whole 30 can totally turn into a disordered eating pattern too, but that's not the intention of the program, right? The intention of all of these things, whether you're doing like Diane Sanfilippo's 21 day sugar detox or the whole 30 or any of these things is to figure out what kinds of foods work best for you for the long term. And then you can take that knowledge going forward and then you can say, oh, like I don't have to eat whole 30 all the time, but because of that program, I know that when I eat beans, like I don't feel great. Or sometimes like if I eat dairy, it makes my skin break out. Or maybe if I drink wine, like it makes me sad or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all a learning process. And the problem is when people start to use just the yes, no foods list. And they're like, whatever, I'm just going to follow this for a month and then like go back to what I was doing because you're not learning anything to change your relationship with food when you do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about the whole 30 for a second? Cause I think a lot of people listening to this would be, are interested in it if they haven't already done one or know about it. So what's the difference between a whole 30 and paleo? So the snippet that I like to give people about the whole 30 is that it's a 30 day nutritional reset on your health, your habits, and your relationship with food. So you're cutting out a bunch of foods for 30 days that have a potential to mess with the psychology of foods, with your habits, with your health, or with your relationship with food, right? So I might've repeated one of those, but whatever, you get my point. Yeah. So we can drive it home. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the point is you do this for 30 days and you learn a bunch of things about yourself, about your habits, about oh, maybe in the afternoon, like I'm always reaching for some candy or some coffee, or maybe at night I'm so used to night snacking, but like I never really thought about it before. And then at the end of the 30 days, you're supposed to go through a reintroduction process where you introduce one food at a time that you had eliminated to figure out how that food fits into what they call your food freedom. So basically you're creating the best diet for you by eliminating these foods for 30 days and then you reintroduce them, see how you react to them and then decide how you want that to fit into a healthy lifestyle. So the big difference between the whole 30 and following a paleo plan is like paleo, especially at this point when it's been around for a while, like you can make paleo pancakes, you can make paleo sandwiches, you can make paleo pasta, you can make paleo ice cream, Yeah. right? And you could eat that every day. You can take a standard American diet Say you're eating cereal for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, pasta for dinner, and cake for dessert. You can take all of that and make it paleo. Exactly. Right? And that's why when people tell me, paleo is so restrictive, I'm like, do you, do you know? I can make anything paleo. Right, exactly. I can literally make anything paleo. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Um, so that's the big difference with the Whole30 is because, or going back to paleo. So if you make like paleo sandwich bread or paleo desserts or whatever, Those are a hell of a lot healthier than like your standard American diet stuff if because they're probably much less inflammatory, but they're still full of sugar, Mm -hmm. right? So the difference with Whole30 is you can't have any form of added sugar. You can't have any sugar at all except what's in fruit and like a little bit of dried fruit. And then there's also this concept in the Whole30 called sex with your pants on, which is you're not supposed to recreate 
junk foods with Whole30 ingredients. And the thing behind that, and this is probably the biggest gripe that people have with the program. They're like, well, like, what if I just make a pancake with an egg and banana? I'm like, well, anytime you're not on the Whole30, like, that's a great option, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to eating, like, gluten and sugar and dairy-filled pancakes rather than just, like, an egg and banana and maybe protein powder pancake. Like, that's totally fine. But one of the main points of the Whole30 program is you're trying to change your relationship with food. So if you're having like whole pancakes with whole 30 ingredients for breakfast and a sandwich with whole 30 ingredients for lunch. And like you make some kind of delicious whole 30 ingredients, ice cream for dessert, you're not changing your habits and you're not changing the relationship that you have. Oh, I'm stuck on having ice cream every night, but now I'm just going to make it with a frozen banana and some cocoa powder. And like, that's still whole 30 friendly. Like, Mm -hmm you're missing the point. (laughs) Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love the whole 30. I think it's really important for people to realize how emotionally attached they are to these types of foods. And it's something that in my own life, I encounter people will say, you know, I notice you never make paleo pancakes or how can you never have paleo waffles? Like, and I just say, cause I don't, I just don't care about them. You know, like if I go out, if I go out to a restaurant and they have paleo pancakes or something that doesn't mean I want them just because they're there I genuinely like real whole foods and I don't I feel such a sense of freedom ever since detaching myself from those foods you know or like the paleo breads people I think that's a really common one that people are just they say well can't what am I going to do for bread? Can I make a paleo version of bread? Or they get really attached to the bread and I go yeah you could but the point is to learn to not need the bread yeah, you, you know, so and I think I actually had an easier time with this when I started when I found paleo and when I had to be gluten free and everything, because when I got diagnosed with celiac and when I figured out that gluten free was the way that I had to be, all of the gluten free foods were disgusting. Yeah. So I just had to kind of learn to like not eat bread, to not eat muffins for breakfast for all of these things, because I was like, this stuff is gross. Like, why would I want to eat something that tastes like cardboard, you know? Yeah. And Back then, like, paleo was around, but none of the, like, paleo products that you can see now mm. were around. So I just had to have to – I think I'm kind of lucky that I had to learn to just not have those. I mean, now it's great. Like, I can go downtown D.C. and there's, like, an entirely gluten-free bakery. And they have, like, the best cinnamon rolls and all this stuff. But since I'd been out, been, like, away from those for so long, I learned, like, yeah, they're delicious to have every once in a while. And like, it's a great treat. But I know if I eat that stuff all the time, I feel like crap. Yeah. And they're still filled with sugar or other weird ingredients. Just because it's gluten free doesn't mean it's healthy. A lot of times it's way worse because they have to pump it up with other stuff to make it palatable. Or it's way, you know, like, if you are eating a crap ton of nuts, that's not gonna help with your with your goals. You know, I want to also, okay, two more things about Whole30. First of all, can you explain the smoothie situation with Whole30? Yeah, so the smoothie situation is like less complicated than you would think it is. So they kind of just recommend that you don't have smoothies because they want you to get away from the habit of drinking your food and they'd rather just have you 
sit down. It's just the habit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I love having smoothies for breakfast, but if I'm doing a whole 30, they're trying to change the habit of, oh, I'm just going to blend up a smoothie and then drink it on my, in my car on the way to work or like on my commute to work because you're not being mindful at all. Right. Like, yeah, it's a whole lot faster and there's nothing unhealthy about a smoothie. Right. Like that's the thing is there's a lot of foods that aren't allowed on the whole 30 that are still healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. But like they're just not in the spirit of the program and of the guidelines. So they're just off limits for those 30 days. But once you're done, like smoothies are totally fine. Right. They're not unhealthy at all. Well, it depends on the smoothie. (laughs) That's true. If you're putting like 100 grams of sugar in your smoothie, then it's definitely not the healthiest way to go. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just trying to change the focus on more mindful eating with the program, which is a little bit harder to do with smoothies, not all smoothies, but they kind of just had to draw a line in the sand there. Yeah. What are, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make on a whole 30? My God, I'm so glad you asked this. Cause I just did a podcast about oh, it. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Fresh. So I, my actually, did it go up today? No, it went up yesterday. Um, it's called the top seven whole 30 mistakes that are sabotaging your progress. But One of, I would say the most interesting one, I think, is that people don't eat enough. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, especially if you're changing from like standard American diet or you're eating a lot of whole grains and dairy and all that stuff is people just cut all of that stuff out and then they're basically only eating like a little bit of veggies, a little bit of protein and like a little bit of healthy fat at each meal. And then they're like, oh my God, I'm starving. But they kind of think that's okay Because going back to the diet mentality, they think they're supposed to be hungry. Mm -hmm. But there's no calorie, no macro counting. There's barely even portion size recommendations on the Whole30 because they're trying to teach you to be intuitive, right? So the thing is, a lot of people are under eating on the program, especially because a lot of the people that are doing the Whole30 are active or they're young or they have kids and they're pregnant or like all of these things. And they're burning a lot of energy every day, but they're not replenishing that energy that they were eating beforehand via the the, like whole grains or any of the like gluten filled foods or dairy or anything like that. So you need to make more uh, lateral shifts in the whole 30, I would say, instead of just like cutting things out and then being like, oh, I'm just going to eat, you know, like to 400 less calories every meal, mm-hmm. right? I find that's really common, not just with Whole30, but just any shift to a healthier diet. For example, I know a lot of people who go paleo, myself included, who accidentally cut their calories by 500%. You know? Oh, yeah, I did the same thing yeah. when I started too. Or people who go vegan or vegetarian. I think any sort of shift, because you, you don't realize how calorically dense these these smaller package things that you eat all the time (laughs) compared to all of your veggies. So I'm really glad you brought that up because this is something that I really wanted to make sure you said on the podcast. How, okay, there's the common recommendation in the lying media to eat 1,200 calories a day. Who is that recommendation appropriate for, Dana? Tell me. Three three years old. <laughs> that is what that recommendation is for. If you are three years old, which I don't think you are if you're listening to this podcast. You better or not if you I'm explicit. <laughs> right, exactly. Or if you're like, n- oh, God. Yeah, okay. If you are any age over three <laughs> and you are eating 1,200 calories a day, 
you are basically slowing down your metabolism every day that you do that. And then you might get to the point where you've slowed down your metabolism so much that once you start to eat over 1,200 calories, you're going to gain weight. Mm-hmm. But you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I'm only eating 1,300 calories. Why am I gaining weight? That's an indication that you've been yo-yo dieting or you've been under eating for a really long time. So you need to see a nutritionist, a personal trainer, a nutritional therapy practitioner, or somebody that can help you out of that because there is a way to get out of that. And the way is not by eating less. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I just really want to – because every time you bring this up, I cannot stop laughing because it's literally so ridiculous, these recommendations put out there by – who is even – is this the government? Who is this? No, it's, it's luckily not the government anymore, although the government's dietary guidelines are exactly why our country is so fat and sick right yeah, now. So yeah, that's, that's why – That's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation. But yeah, I mean that's mostly like the fitness mm-hmm. Instagram people, like celebrities and all this stuff. And it's like – you don't know how much damage you're causing until it's too late. So what is an appropriate amount of food for somebody who's 25? That's like the – okay, you made it a little bit more specific there. I was like, so that's a really general (laughs) – okay. So the thing is I can't really give you like a specific answer for that because everyone – I'm glad you said that. That's something you would say. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it depends on a lot of things, right? It depends on your age. It depends on your activity level. It depends on your hormones. It depends on like what kinds of foods are you eating? It depends on so many different things. Your stress level. Yeah, your stress level. It's just – it's almost impossible to give a blanket recommendation Mm -hmm. for people. Pretty much the only blanket recommendation you can give is like eat more veggies – Right. Like that's one thing that every single diet will agree on. It's like you need to eat more vegetables and drink water. And a lot of your vegetables should be leafy green ones because they're the most nutrient dense ones. Yeah. And I'm glad you say that because it's just trying to get people to understand that they have to stop comparing themselves to other people or just taking these random recommendations you know, or these, these guides that are put out there, these food, these meal plans, you know, everybody should be eating this many calories. You don't know me. You know, <laughs> you, you don't know what, what my body does with this exactly. many calories. Yeah. So I'm really glad you said that. Okay. One final wrap up topic. So one of my favorite of your blog posts that you ever written is your blog post about the lies that the media told you. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm very passionate about this as well. So I just, I love it. What sticks out in your mind as one of the biggest lies that the media told you that you wish more people realized? Um, well, definitely one of them is the, the 1200 calorie thing. And then, um, oh, one horrible one that people used to say all the time in college is nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. God. Yeah, that's um, plenty of things taste much better. <laughs> right, exactly. Literally anything tastes better than yeah. skin feels. But that was basically like the driving force behind my eating disorder in college and afterwards is because I truly believed that I would not be happy and like no one would like me unless I was skinny. And that is so incredibly messed up 
And the thing that goes along with this and like something super important to keep in mind is like literally the only reason that there is a diet industry is because these people are trying to sell you something that you don't have, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't have a six pack. I'm going to give you this detox tea for 30 days. That'll give you a six pack. Oh, you don't have like a thigh gap. Like I'm going to give you this diet that will give you that. If everyone had all of these things, there wouldn't be a diet industry. Mm -hmm. And just because they're trying to sell you something does not mean it's healthy, right? Just because all these girls on Instagram have like tiny waists and big butts, that doesn't mean that that's healthy, Mm -hmm. right? Just because like something like this person looks nice and like this person looks nice and like, yeah, okay, like an A-pack is really nice to look at, but that doesn't mean that it's healthy, you know, like – One piece of advice that I like to give people is like, don't let someone else's uh, like image in the media determine how you feel about yourself and determine like, especially now around the new year, like don't let different images in the media decide what you feel like you should be doing. Like stop shooting yourself, right? Like you don't have to do anything. What you should do is figure out like, what works well for you? Like what makes you feel your best? What kind of exercise do you love? What kind of food makes you feel really good? Right? Like an F what anybody else thinks. Mm-hmm. I love that. No, I love that. And we just live in this age where we see too much. We see too much of other people and what other people are doing in these images. And I think that has a huge it's a huge reason why all of this is so widespread. All of these body image issues and these horrible ideas about what you should be doing to eat exercise. Back in the day, people didn't worry about this crap because no, they weren't getting 500 messages a day saying you should eat this, you should eat that. And now you go on Twitter and every single article that pops up is about what you should be doing, right? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, People have to remember that social media is literally a highlight feed of people's lives unless they try and do it differently, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you go on both of our Instagrams right now, like the food looks super good. Like we, in our pictures, like we have makeup on and stuff. But like, if you look at me right now, I'm literally wearing an all gray outfit. My hair is up in a bun on top of my head and I have no makeup on, right? Like this is my real life, Mm -hmm. you know? So when you're looking at those Instagram models and you're looking at all these like perfect pictures of food and stuff, like you have to remember there's a face on the other side of that camera. And even if that girl like looks really skinny or she looks really happy, you have no idea what is going on behind the scenes. Preach it, girl. Preach it. Wow. I love you. Okay. Real last thing. Okay. So you guys, if you haven't been to Dana's blog, you absolutely have to because her recipes, I don't even have words. It's very, I've, <laughs> You're the best. I've talked about this before. There aren't that many blogs that have recipes that I would actually make because a lot of people put things out there that they look nice and they sound fun, but I wouldn't actually make it in real life, but everything you put up is realistic and it looks amazing and tastes oh, amazing. And if you guys didn't, like, I made your salmon frittata for Christmas, and that was the biggest crowd pleaser. It was probably the best thing ever. So that was amazing. Awesome. Do you have a top few or favorite recipe on there that you recommend people go for? Ooh, um, I know it's really okay. hard. Current, Maybe current something favorite that pops recipe. to mind. Yeah. Or um, popular, if there's a... A popular one amongst oh, the yeah. readers. 
I have a super popular recipe for these chimichurri chicken wings with um, like a homemade paleo ranch dressing, which are perfect for the Super Bowl, which is coming up. That's definitely one of my favorite ones. Um, And then I love anything with sweet potatoes in it. So, oh my God, so many recipes. That's a really good one. And then um, I have this barbecue pulled pork recipe that I really love. And (laughs) one of my favorite recipes ever to make and to eat is just tostones, which is pan fried plantains when they're green. Um, And I did like a step-by-step tutorial because they're kind of finicky to cut. But basically, they taste like heaven. (laughs) I can't even think of what. I need to look those up. I haven't seen that one yet. That sounds really good. I love plantains. Oh, my God. They're they're so so good. good. Yeah. Plantains could be my favorite food right now and all the time. So. Oh, wow. That's a bold (laughs) statement. I'm into that. They're kind of hard to find, though, for me. Yeah. Do you find that, too? Yeah, um, we have a lot of like Hispanic markets where I live, so I can get them super cheap. Um, but if you have like Asian markets or – I mean honestly, I don't buy them at Whole Foods because they're so expensive. But even if you go into like Giant or any of the like – not necessarily bottom of the line grocery stores, but their skin <laughs> is so thick that like any chemicals that they tried to put on those probably could Won't not get, get through. So yeah. yeah. How does one know when a plantain is ready – So there's kind of three different stages of plantain. So you can get them if they're super green, that's when it's kind of like a potato on the inside. So like also don't eat plantains when they're raw. They will not taste good. Um, When it's really brown, as honestly, as long as it doesn't have mold on it, you can still cook it in some way. So when it's green, it's like super starchy white potato. When it's brown, it's like super sweet. And when you cook it, it tastes like banana bread. So I love I love when they're like black and then you saute them in coconut oil and cinnamon. Yep. And it's crack. Yep. They're so, so good. good. Oh, my gosh. All right. Cool. Thanks for the plantain lesson. Hopefully. I think that's an un- – most people don't talk about plantains. I think people forget that they exist. Yeah, and so. you can also do so many things with them. Like you can make bread out of them. You can make like cakes out of them, all this stuff. I normally just stick to like sautéed plantains, mm-hmm. but. Can't go wrong with the basics. Okay, well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. I know yeah, that you have, yeah, you have so many different ways for people to connect with you. Why don't you tell people where they can find you, get more from you? Yeah, so I am everywhere at Real Food with Dana. So Facebook, Instagram, that's my blog is realfoodwithdana.com. Don't bother to find me on Twitter because it's a waste of time for me. Um, But you can also find me on my podcast is Real Talk with Dana on iTunes. Woohoo, I love that. You know I love me some Real Talk. So (laughs) yeah, guys, make sure you check out Dana because all of her stuff just feeds my soul. I love you. I really appreciate everything that you put out there because oh, thank you I mean I just I don't have any words you're the best <laughs> oh you're the best <laughs> thanks all right well thanks so much for joining me and I'll talk to you again soon yay bye bye amazing so there you have it from Dana huge thank you to her again for chatting with me it was such an incredible conversation I hope you guys got a lot out of that it means a lot that she was so open and She's just amazing. So make sure you check her out at realfoodwithdana.com. Check out her podcast, Real Talk with Dana. And, you know, 
if you want to reach out to her, you can find her on Instagram at Real Food with Dana. So she's all over the place and I love her and I'm going to have to have her back on because she's awesome. And don't forget, if you want to sign up for my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program, you can still snag a spot, hopefully. Hopefully it's not closed, but go to bit.ly slash Paleo Women Lifestyle. And don't forget to join the Facebook group if you haven't already. I would love to have you guys in there. And that'll be it for this week. Loved chatting. I'll be back again next Monday. I hope you guys have an incredible day, an incredible week, and talk to you soon. Bye.